through um, our attitudes, Lord, and through our attention that we have on you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would be focused on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One, test two. There we go. All right. I like that stereo. All right. Well, hey, Refuge, good morning. We want to just welcome uh, each and every one of you here to Refuge Bible Fellowship. Those of you who are visiting us today, uh, we want to give you a warm welcome as well. Um, we are uh, just looking forward to getting into God's Word. We're just very thankful for just the Lord allowing us to be here another day. Amen. Um, just as we were singing that song, I just was thinking about how, uh, you know, the Bible says that, um, you know, that, that God inhabits the praises of his people. And that, that's one thing we know, that when we're uh, in worship and spirit and truth with the Lord, that he is, he is with us. And so that's such a, just a great thing to, to, to ponder and to think upon. Uh, we have a guest speaker with us this morning, Pastor Frank Sanchez. He's from Calvary Christian Fellowship here, uh, right down the street, in fact, in Colton, California. He'll be up here in just a few moments to... To share the word of God, but before that, uh, we have a few uh, morning announcements that we want to uh, share with you guys. You know, I was back there right now, and you can see all those uh, sign-up lists. I like that. That tells me that there's a lot going on here in our church, and you know, that means that there's a lot of opportunity for uh, you and I as well to to get plugged in and to be a part here of what uh, God is doing in and through this body of believers. So uh, we want to start out by announcing that next uh, Saturday, I'm sorry, it's two weeks, two Saturdays from now, on Saturday, July 13th at 10 o'clock a.m., we are going to be having a family beach day, and this is going to be at Huntington Beach, and so we're going to be setting up somewhere near the Noggles food stand. Yes, I said Noggles. You guys remember that? Some of you guys remember Noggles? I think they're back. Uh, look for our Black Refuge flags. We're going to have those set up out there. Um, going to ask you just, you know, bring your own lunch, food, drinks, games, whatever it is, shade, uh, towels, boogie boards, all that stuff that goes along with a beach trip, right? Uh, parking is $15, just so you guys are, so, just so you're aware. Um, but we're going to have a family beach day, so uh, if it's not on your calendar, get it on your calendar now. And uh, we look forward just to having that opportunity uh, to come together uh, in fellowship. Um, as it's been announced in the last couple weeks, we are going to be hosting another foundations class. And I was looking at the list back there, and it's getting filled up pretty quick, which is awesome. Um, uh, so we, that's going to be ha- taking place on July 7th, 14th, and 21st. And that foundations class is held, of course, Sundays, right after service. 
And um, so signups are in the back. They're still available for you. And really, this foundations class, as, as it's been mentioned before, is kind of a formal introduction uh, to Refuge Bible Fellowship. Uh, we want to tell you a little bit about our story. Um, but more importantly, uh, we're going to share with you some of the key uh, topics, some of the key uh, foundations that we believe uh, that are, are essential um, in, in the Christian walk. And so we're going to have these three classes. They're about an hour, an hour or so, plus or minus, after each service. It's not only for those who are new, but if you've been coming to Refuge, um, I would just great. I, I would just encourage you. Uh, to be a part of these classes, and uh, also if you want to become uh, a part of any of the ministries here at Refuge, we would highly recommend that you uh, take these foundations classes as well. Uh, that way we can be sure that uh, we're both aligned together. That's so important as we're serving the Lord. Um, another thing that we want to announce, uh, which is just around the corner, in fact, next Monday, not tomorrow Monday, but the next Monday, starting on July 8th, uh, the men, as we are in kind of a summer break right now, we're going to be getting together for a men's summer study. It's titled Learn to Lead, and we're going to be going through the book of Second Timothy. And so on July 8th, July 22nd, August 5th, and August 19th, we are going to be meeting on Monday nights. Guys, if you've already signed up, uh, your group leaders will be in contact with you to let you know the meeting uh, places, etc. There is still time to sign up, guys. These are going to be more smaller, condensed groups, and we're going to have an opportunity to learn to lead. Okay? I'll, le- I'll leave it at that. But, guys, I just want to encourage you men, um, let's get involved. Get, get plugged in. Uh, these small groups serve such a great um, way to just get to know other men and I'm on a more intimate level, and this gives us an opportunity to come together uh, during the week, our busy weeks, right, uh, and uh, really just put the Lord uh, first and uh, see what he has to speak to our hearts. So that's coming up. So we have those sign-ups still. Get signed up today. Uh, we also have a women's uh, summer book club, and that is uh, actually today is going to be the last day for those sign-ups to uh, to be available. So if you need any information or would like to be a part of that study, ladies, uh, get get signed up. In fact, that uh, study, I believe, uh, the, you girls are going to be going through uh, a biography about George Mueller. And um, so this is just something, again, it's about giving you, the church, opportunities uh, to grow in your walk with the Lord and also opportunities to grow uh, in your relationships with others. So that's why we, uh, we hold these things like the men's study, the women's study, the summer studies. Yeah, we, we're, we want to get a nice little break in there, but we also want to continue uh, to have the uh, opportunities to come together in fellowship. A um, couple more announcements here to share. So we have the first Saturday of every month. What is that? <laughs> That's our men's prayer breakfast, so uh, it's going to be Saturday, July 6th, and we're going to be meeting right here at the church, as always. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good food. Um, there's a lot of guys that come out. I think we have at least about 20 guys on average coming out to the men's breakfast every month, um, and there's also a challenge, and what is the challenge? 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the women outdid us from what I heard. So, guys, we just want to, uh, we're not in competition, but uh, we definitely want <laughs> to, we want to make a good showing. Let's put it, let's put it that way. We want to make a good showing. Uh, so, guys, you're, you're invited, by the way, men uh, and young men. Uh, to come and uh, pray with us. Like I said, there's a ton of great food. Uh, thank you, ladies, by the way, for that. Um, and for the guys that bring donuts, thank you. But, um, you know, it's a great opportunity, really, to, to put all things aside and lift up our prayers to the God who hears our prayers. And we, knowing that confidence that we have in him, um, it's a time that we can pray for our church, and pray for our communities, our families, our nation, and the world. And so let's uh, take advantage of these opportunities. Um, also, uh, lastly, uh, tonight at 6.30, we're going to be hosting three weeks uh, of a theology class. And so uh, we want to invite you out tonight at 6.30 p.m. here at the church. Uh, there will be child care. And so um, really... Uh, a couple years ago, we held um, some small groups amongst the men, and we taught through uh, different subjects uh, regarding uh, theology. Some of us taught about uh, salvation or what's known as soteriology. Um, some of us taught on, uh, what else, Tom? Angelology. Theology proper. Yeah, so there's a lot of different topics uh, that are covered. And so we wanted to share this with you, with our church. And so uh, we're going to have uh, some sharing up here tonight. And so we hope that you would uh, come out and, and support that and encourage these men that are going to be sharing and also uh, get to learn and hear a little bit more about uh, theology. So with that, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, we have a very uh, special guest speaker with us this morning. His name is Frank Sanchez. Um, I called him Pastor Frank because he is my Pastor Frank, right? Uh, <laughs> he has, uh, he brought his wife Leela with him and, you know, I put my Facebook creep still skills on this morning and I found that they had a, they have a beautiful family <laughs> and, um, you know, they, he's a senior pastor of uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship here locally. In fact, he got saved 12 years ago when he was 12 years old, or was it, no, I'm sorry, it was 12, he was 12 years old when he got saved. Uh, his roots go back to serving at uh, Calvary Chapel in Redlands at the Packing House. Uh, he then went to, uh, with his wife, they both uh, served as missionaries in Spain, in the south of Spain, and then they went to the south of Orange County to serve, and now they're in South Colton to serve. Wow, the Lord is really doing a great work. And so we just want to give a warm welcome to Pastor Frank and as we get ready to hear what the Lord has to speak through him. So let's welcome Pastor Frank. Good morning, everybody. All right. Well, it's a real privilege, always a surprise to be asked to speak somewhere. And then I'm shocked if I get asked again. It's always that way. Uh, but hey, everyone makes one mistake <laughs> twice sometimes. But it's exciting to be here with you guys. I love your name, Refuge Bible Fellowship. That's nice. I like that. I tell you, 
your pastor, Raul, and Bettina, sweet, sweet people. Leela and I have had the opportunity, my wife of 22 years here. Um, we've had such a wonderful opportunity to get to know them at various conferences and sit around the table with them. Just such sweet people. And I sit every now and then, I have the opportunity to sit with Raul over at Pastor David's, Pastor David Rosales, his uh, luncheon. And uh, what a great guy to talk to, easy to make laugh, and uh, a great smile. And, and I'm always kind of next to him. You probably shouldn't tell him this, although I bet you he's watching right now. Uh, you know, I, I, whenever I'm next to him, I'm, I always want to like, you know, flex a little bit because he's just in good shape, you know. But anyway, great people, really love them, really love getting to know them and are grateful to be in fellowship uh, with them over these years and look forward to many more prayerfully many more years of great fellowship together. All right, well, he asked me to teach today, and um, he probably didn't know that I was going to teach an entire book of the Bible. So I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bible to the book of Psalms. No, I'm kidding. I'm, <laughs> some of you are already leaving. I can see many of you are already looking for where the door is. The book of Philemon. My promise to you is we will not get past chapter 1 of Philemon. It's a short book. I generally would read the end of where we're going to be, but because it's obvious we're going to be in one chapter, I'm just going to read a few verses from the top. I'd like to ask you to stand and read with me Philemon chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> Philemon, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for these believers that are here, that you have raised up in this fellowship, that have taken on your name, that are walking after you in holiness, that are desiring to be influencers in their neighborhoods, in their workplaces. Lord, it is a privilege to share your word. And what a divine and wonderful word you have left us. We pray, Father, this morning that you would lead us. Holy Spirit, we pray you would teach us more of the Son. And that, Lord Jesus, we would love you more as a result of having been in your word. We pray you would be honored, glorified, magnified in our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's kids said, amen. You may be seated. Philemon, the book, was written at the same time as the prison epistles. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians. In fact, I might even ask you to consider Philemon to be the fifth chapter of Colossians. Philemon, the person, was an influential member of the Colossian church. In fact, his home was the site of many Colossian church events, perhaps even their main gathering place. Philemon himself was a wealthy man. The landlord and a man of his caliber would have had a house full of, of Roman slaves. Somewhere along the line, this man, Philemon, and Paul, the apostle, intersected in a very personal way. 
They are great friends. And this book, this one chapter book, is the only personal letter that Paul wrote that's preserved for us today. It's telling that it's subject. Forgiveness and restoration is the centerpiece and the purpose for his existence. It opens with a look at Philemon's spiritual resume. Spiritual resume. Let's take a look again at verse 1 through 3. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, the Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, writing with Timothy nearby, foregoes his usual apostolic identification and settles on the title prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul had been in prison for some time, and while Roman guards held the keys to his cell, Jesus Christ held the keys to his heart. He is writing to a man whose name means one who kisses. That's kind of an odd name today in these days. If my name were one who kisses, I'm sure many of you would shy away from coming to meet me at greeting time. But Philemon, above all, first of all, is a beloved friend of Paul's, and second, a fellow worker in the gospel. I have found that the greater the friendship, or the greater the partnership in Christ, the better the friendship. When the Apostle Paul calls you friend and fellow worker, you're a pretty good and decent fellow. Of course, behind every great man is an angry woman. No, uh, is a better woman. Aphia, her name means fruitful. She's Philemon's wife and Archippus. His name means horse master. He's Philemon's adult son. In Paul's closing instructions to the Colossians, he exhorts Archippus to get going in the ministry that he had been called to by God. Colossians 4, verse 17. So Philemon has a fruitful wife and an adult son about to enter the ministry. Philemon is the pastor of his home. You know, every one of us who are married are pastors in our home. And you might have a larger congregation than some. You may be the, the pastor of one, your wife. But you are a pastor. And the question is not whether or not we are pastors, but whether or not we are good pastors. And Philemon was a good pastor and was at the very least also an elder in their church. And Paul ends his greeting with a call for the Godhead. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting them in the same sentence would be scandalous unless they were indeed equals. And he calls the Godhead to give him grace and peace. Something that we all need to ask the Lord for more of. For Philemon, if anyone needed God's grace and peace, it was about to be him. Verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. 
For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Verses 1 through 3 speak of Paul's, or rather Philemon's, uh, personal testimony. What he was at home. Who he was to his family and to Paul and to the rest of the apostles and the rest of the people that knew him. It speaks of his private life. Verse 4 through 7, which we've just read, speaks of his public testimony. What he was like out in the world. Whatever, whenever Paul prayed, he mentioned Philemon and, and thanked the Lord for him because of his love and faith toward the Lord Jesus as well as the saints. Those two things go together. You may not think so. Many of us are very compartmentalized in our Christianity. Oh, I love God. I love God so much, but it's His people I'm not too crazy about. Maybe you've heard something like that, and some of you are looking at me like, yeah, that's right, I don't like you, fool. I can see that. I respect that. And that's just my wife. (laughs) I tell you, everywhere I go, it's my humbling. No, anyway. But the thing is, is that we cannot say that we love God without showing love for His people. In fact, the Apostle John tells us that we can't say we love God unless we love those that we have seen. We can't say we've loved God who we have not seen if we don't love the ones we have. 1 John 4, verse 20. And Philemon loved the Lord, and that was proven by his love toward the saints. And this is what caused Paul's heart to rejoice. But his requests for were for his evangelistic efforts to be effective. His prayer, in effect, was, May the Lord allow people to recognize your goodness and see that it's directly related to your relationship to the Lord Jesus. Let them connect the spiritual dots. Let them see that it's not just some sort of thing about you, that you're just a moral person, or you're just a good person, but that you are a person who's been touched by Jesus Christ. Let them know that that's the reason you act the way that you act. There's certain radio stations in the area, maybe you've heard, where they tell you to pay for the person behind you. Pay for their coffee at Starbucks. And you assume that they think that they're going to know that's from a person who loves Jesus. But you never know what they're thinking when you pay for their... They might thank Buddha. The idea here is that, man, let it be clear, Philemon. Let your efforts be clear that it's from Jesus. It's because of your love for Jesus that you do these things. That these works aren't divorced from your, from your confession. From what it is you say about Christ. That's what his prayer has been. So Philemon had shared in the work of the faith which brought Timothy and Paul great joy and comfort. At the same time, the hearts of the saints were refreshed by him. The picture behind the word refreshed reflects a person who has given another person a chance to catch their breath from their labors. I want you to think of this scenario with me. We live here in Southern California. We've had a blessed summer so far. Can I get an amen on that? Right? Well, soon it will be 300 degrees outside. And you will be mowing your grass. Some of us here will actually keep it at a, at a decent level. Some of us here need to be told, you know, hey, it's been six months. <laughs> but in any event, we will keep our grass cut and we will be out there 
and you know how hot it is and how draining it is, how difficult it is, and you're out there. And this picture here is of a guy who stops a guy who's mowing his yard, no shade, sits him down in the shade, opens up a lemonade stand and gives him a nice, cool, refreshing drink. Just lets him sit down and relax. That's what Philemon was to the parched souls that were serving Jesus. He would just bring them alongside and encourage them and and give them a moment to catch their breath. You know, a lot of people believe that the best way to serve the Lord is to share His Word and to be a pastor, to open up the Bible and teach it to people. And it is a wonderful blessing. I I would never want to not do what I'm doing now. I I hope to do this the rest of my life. But I bet you most all of us would just rather have a Philemon. And how easy is it for us to say, God, use me in this capacity. I mean, I could at least be a refreshing source to somebody in my life. Lord, maybe there's somebody today I can... I can refresh by encouraging them or coming up alongside of them, patting them on the back, encouraging them, giving them a good word. Every one of us can do that, right? You don't need to study for that. You don't need to get in the Greek to learn how to encourage someone. You can simply come up alongside of them and go, hey, you're doing a great job. Hey, it's going to be all right. I know it's tough having three teenagers, but you're going to live. Other people have. Isn't that a great thing to be able to be that person? Philemon was one who refreshed people. By all accounts, Philemon is an excellent Christian. And who wouldn't want to have this guy on their staff? He's the pastor of his home. He's an elder in his church. He's a lover of the saints and an evangelist to the world. Wouldn't you want that on your resume? Let me ask you something. How much are you like Philemon? How much of any of this resonates with you? That this is, yeah, that's me. That's what I want to be. Maybe there's some area right here that he's already referred to that you can say, Lord, would you do that work through me? Would you let people connect the spiritual dots and, and know that I am a lover of Jesus Christ and that whatever I share with them is out of that confession of love for Him? Lord, let me be more refreshing to people around me. Maybe you could look at this list and think about that as your resume might be looked at someday. He's everything every other Christian should want to be. And this is where the Lord inserts Philemon's spiritual Reality check. We've looked at his spiritual resume. Now let's look at his spiritual reality check. Take a look at verse 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of his spiritual resume, because of his reputation. Paul could command him to do what is fitting and he would respond. Paul could easily pull rank and order him to do his duty. He could be very bold, unreserved, even frank in his speech. My name is Frank. I don't know if you 
Anyway, when you have to when you have to tell your joke and how it just isn't worth it, I probably should have just left that out. But anyway, Paul didn't need to suggest anything or offer up a, an idea. Paul, rather than commanding, appeals. He comes alongside of Philemon, urging him to remember love. Remember your old friend, Paul, and the Lord's prisoner. Can't help but think for a minute, whatever Paul's asking him to do, it's not as hard as being as old as Paul or being a prisoner of Christ Jesus, right? There's some difficult things in life. Paul's saying, look, whatever I'm going to ask you to do, think about who's asking you to do it. I'm an old guy in the faith, and all of you know Paul's resume, right? You, you You shipwrecked several times, beaten with rods. You know all that, right? Paul the aged. Whatever age he was, he wasn't that old chronologically, but he had lived a lot of years in Christ. And back then, those years were equal to three or four. So he says, hey, I'm an old guy, Philemon, and I'm locked up. I'm incarcerated. So whatever I'm about to ask you, you might want to keep that in context. I'm doing something that's kind of hard. (laughs) I'm asking you to do something less hard. Just think about that. But what's he getting at? Please understand that Paul knows how great of an ask he is about to present to Philemon. Now, can you imagine Philemon's heart at this point? Let's say you were the one getting this scroll at your house. However, the mail service was delivered at this time. A letter at this time began with the name of the person, and you unrolled the scroll. If you came down to the end of it and had the name, that would be kind of way too late. You start with the name. You unroll the scroll, and Philemon loves Paul. And he sees it's from him, and it's exciting to him. I mean, whenever anyone gets a letter... Oh, it's very rare today. Let's say it's an email. Whenever I get an email from somebody, wow. And if it's good, I keep it and, and print it and, and, and I build a shrine to it if it's encouraging. But if it's, you know, awful and uh, anonymous, well, anyway, I just know it's, you know, one of my church members. But anyway, it's just a thing that when you're looking at this, and Philemon, he immediately, oh, I love Paul. Man, I love, I wonder what, he, what he's going to ask me. And as he's listening to all this, I can almost hear him thinking, Paul, you can ask me to do anything. Come on, bro, get to it. <laughs> this is, just go for it, buddy. You don't need to be so hesitant. Roll out with this thing. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and me. If I could be so bold, I'd suggest that we hear this with a modern equivalence. It would sound like this in your ears. I am begging, begging, begging you to spare the life of my son Onesimus. Now, we haven't heard this man's name yet. If you're unfamiliar with this book, you don't know who this is. You don't know what this means. It's a name like any other name. Like, for example, Amalekites. When I say that, if I say there are Amalekites out the door, how many of you are ready to run in, in, in fear? And we don't have any attachment to that, do we? And we don't have an attachment to the name Onesimus. We don't know what that means. 
We don't know what it means to Philemon to hear him. His name means profitable or useful. But that was not what he was to Philemon. He had been a sore spot of conversation, a scourge, a stain. He'd been a traitor, a man that had taken advantage of Philemon's good graces toward him. He was a runaway slave from Philemon's house. And when Philemon heard this name, it would be as if you heard that name of that person in your life that you have such a strong distaste for. For me, it's any one of the Celtics. For you, who knows who it is? An uncle, an aunt, a cousin, a brother. Somebody who's burned you. Somebody who's taken advantage of who you were. And when you hear that name, you bristle. You go from being happy, go lucky, to you want to kill somebody. Because that person brings up such bad memories in your mind. Philemon, when he heard this, it just took his breath away. It was like getting hit in the gut. It was at once a a moment of fierce rage and then infinite curiosity. Onesimus was not only once a member of his full staff of slaves, he had fled, I told you that, a crime worthy of death, but he also left with some of Philemon's money. He stole something out of Philemon's house. Now I imagine that Philemon, being a Christian, was a good, well-ordered home to live in. He was very kind. And when that sort of Christian family is betrayed, there aren't a whole lot of good emotions to be had. Yes, not even for a Christian family. Whatever Philemon thought of Onesimus from that moment, Paul is telling him that something incredible had occurred. After he left, the sinner had become a saint. The scourge and the stain had become a son to Paul. Now think about this for a moment. Just consider this. Historians tell us at this time that the Roman Empire's population had boomed at this time to over or nearly 900,000 people. A great deal of which were slaves. When Onesimus fled, Philemon more than likely thought, well, that's the last I'll ever see of him. He just had to eat the law, save face, and his other slaves, and with his other slaves rather, and he just turned the other cheek. What are the odds of in all the prisons in Rome that this slave would end up being chained next to Paul, the apostle, Philemon's friend? What do you think the odds of something like that are? That that would happen? What a divine setup. What an amazing setup that God put in this man's life. He came into prison, a man condemned. He left that same prison, a man converted. I wonder how long it took them to sit there and talk. You know how it is, right? You know that conversation we all say, oh, what a small world. When you discover that you know somebody that I know and we don't know each other, what a strange thing that is, huh? 
Could you imagine being in prison with Paul and they're just talking through and, yeah, I visited Colossae. Yeah, you've been to Colossae? Oh, yeah, totally. I do this all the time with people. There's a lady at our gym where I go to. Her name is Guzel. And I always talk with her in the morning as I'm walking in because she does our registration or whatever. And every time, every now and then, I'll go in there and ask her, hey, do you know Igor and Olga? Because <laughs> I know another, like there'd be, you know, that kind of connection. As if, you know, she knows everybody I would know. She doesn't know anybody I know. At least not yet. If I keep mentioning Russians all the time, I, 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 one day I'm going to figure one out. Do you know Ivan Drago? <laughs> anyway, that's who I know. Um, Rocky Four, anybody? No? Okay, whatever. This crowd needs some more movie time. I, I didn't notice you guys had a movie night coming up. Anyway, <clears throat> so imagine the thought of when they finally got around to talking about where Philemon had come or where Onesimus had come from. What had landed him there? And who Paul was. Oh, must have been amazing. And it didn't matter to Paul what his past was. Because Paul saw one, saw, he saw one thing. He saw a person who needed the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what a great lesson for you and I. Some of the things that we learn about people in our lives may turn our stomachs. It's even possible that such knowledge would keep you from sharing Christ's love. And it would not be the first time in history that personal bias got in the way of personal evangelism. Paul, he knew that the background of Onesimus was secondary to what lay before his future in Christ. Let me ask you something about your Onesimus what do you think Jesus could do with that annoying fellow at work or that foul lady in your neighborhood if Jesus touched their lives? What could he do with that person that you have such distaste for if he infiltrated their hearts? What kind of lives would they live? What kind of people would they be? What past in life would you hold over a person's future in Christ? No, oh, I pray none. Onesimus is a prisoner, came to faith, and then was discipled by the guy who wrote almost all of the New Testament. And Philemon was well within his rights to impose the death penalty upon this slave for his impudence, though it's not likely that Philemon would have killed him due to his faith. Philemon's other option was to brand the equivalent of the letter F on him, denoting that Onesimus was a fugitive. During this time in history, the slave population vastly outnumbered the free population, so a fear of rebellion motivated slave owners to ex exercise strict disciplinary measures. So socially, legally, and literally... Philemon had Onesimus dead to rights, except that Onesimus had become profitable to Philemon and to Paul by coming to life in Christ Jesus. His value apart from Christ was indeed unprofitable and useless. Spiritually, apart from Jesus, do you understand? You are unprofitable and useless. 
I know we live in an age where everybody gets a trophy for participating. I don't get that. I tell my children, second place is no place. Second place is for the first loser. Now, I can tell all of you in here love that trophy thing for everybody, the way you responded. Back in my day, you had, to, you had to earn a trophy. You didn't just get one. Our value apart from Jesus is nothing. But how valuable are we in Christ? And how valuable, how profitable was Onesimus now that his life was Christ's? Paul calls Philemon to understand this is not the man you once knew. The man who deserved to die. He has died. And now Christ was living through Onesimus. Philemon's about to go from religious theory to practical exercise real quickly. Take a look at verse 12. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister me to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. Understand what these words symbolize. I am sending this freshly born again, profitable, profitable person back to you. Now, Philemon had likely already forgiven this man. As a Christian, do you realize forgiveness of a person, to forgive somebody who has wronged you, whether they ask you or not, is non-negotiable. You realize that, right? That is what we are called to do. We are called to be people who dispense forgiveness. Why? First, we are to forgive because if we hold unforgiveness in our hearts over anybody, we're drinking poison and hoping they die. That doesn't work, by the way. You can drink as much poison as you like. They're not going to feel it at all. So if you're holding unforgiveness in your heart, you are poisoning your own soul. God knows that about us. That's why he tells us, forgive. Second, if we don't forgive, and this is probably worse than the first, the first actually leads to us being bitter people that nobody wants to be around. But the second is ungrateful toward God because if we don't forgive, we show that we hold no forgive or we show no value for the forgiveness that's been shown us. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been forgiven of a lot. And that's just this morning. That's just before I got out of bed. We forgive because we have been forgiven. How can we not forgive a lifelong debt? At the worst, whoever has harmed you, maybe they've ruined your life. But Jesus has forgiven you a debt that would have kept you out of life for eternity. So how could we not forgive that person in our life? 
when Jesus has forgiven us of so much, of infinitely more. Friends, we must, in Jesus' name, forgive one another. And that's one thing. But restoration to a relationship is entirely different. I can forgive somebody from any vantage point. I can go to the Lord and ask Him to give me strength to forgive somebody. But if I'm going to be in a relationship with them again, there has to be some things that go along with that. There has to be some acknowledgement of what's gone on, right? If they come back into your life and they don't acknowledge what has happened, you're letting yourself get into a position where it's unsafe, where you'll be hurt again. There has to be an acknowledgement. There has to be restitution in some respect. Some of us will not have to face these things. But this man, Onesimus, is soon to be on Philemon's doorstep. I don't know how long he has from this letter getting there to when Onesimus gets there, but he has a very short period of time to deal with this reality. Paul asks him to look at him differently. Don't look at him through the prism of the past. Onesimus is now an extension of the Apostle Paul. And Onesimus could have stayed an extension of Philemon. He could have acted as a proxy, ministering to Paul's needs the way Philemon would have loved to minister to him. However, Paul obeyed the order of things. Paul respected the human institution. Philemon had all the rights, and Paul, even though he was an apostle sent from God, knew that if there was going to be a redeemable storyline, it wouldn't happen apart from legal consent. So Paul politely, lovingly asks for Philemon's consent. Perhaps Onesimus could return to Paul, but Paul goes, not until you've made it right. Not till you've made it right over there. You know, some people have come to our church in the last 10 years wanting to come and minister, but they've left their church because they had an issue with the pastor or whatever. I've always said, this has been my thing from the beginning. And I don't care if it affects us adversely, which it does. Because people come to our church, we don't have a big church. And then I have to tell them, hey, you got to go make it right with your old pastor. And then if once you've left the church right, you may come and enjoy. If they send you out, that's one thing. But if you're just leaving and you're leaving a big old trail behind you, you need to go back. You need to go back and make it right. You won't be blessed until you do that. I've lost many people that way. Because <laughs> people don't want to go back. But here's Onesimus. Coming back to the scene of the crime. This man's been changed. He's going to set things right. Verse 15. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, but a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, Paul may be 100 miles away from Philemon, but he can still see Philemon's face as clear as day, as if he were standing there face to face with him. And Philemon is struggling to put the pieces together. Remember we talked about his resume, right? You would think that spiritual resume and reputation and pedigree 
keeps you from having to deal with difficult people. Like it somehow gives you a bulletproof, I'm always holy face that I'm never bothered by, but the rubber meets the road when we see somebody like this who irks our soul. And Philemon is trying to put it together. How do I, how, have you ever seen somebody in this position? How, how do I continue to be godly? How do I continue to follow the Lord and, and not want to strangle this guy in front of me? All of you are so holy. None of you seem to be bothered by this at all. I just, I'm in the wrong church. Is this the refuge? This is a refuge, right? Man, I got to talk to Raul after this. I, I only need to talk to sinners, not, not these perfect people on here. But Philemon is struggling. And, and, and here's his thought I've treated Onesimus with respect. I'd been a fair owner to him. I might have even, I was even trying to be a father to him, to bless him. And all that, he ran away with stolen goods under his belt. How do I reconcile that? Onesimus didn't run out on a harsh environment. He ran out on love and respect. How could Philemon forgive him, much less receive him back? Paul graciously responds, Philemon, I understand. And Christian, as I talk to you today, I understand. There have been real hurts. This is not a fairy tale. These are historical people who had issues like you and I have issues. They have living, breathing trials called teenagers. They have children. They have people in their life. They have neighbors who have treated them wrong. They have friends that have betrayed them. And I look at you, and I know that every one of us has somebody in our life like an Onesimus. And we can be as spiritual as all get out. And we can go out here. We come into the church. We're all happy. We've had our coffee in the morning, which makes us happier. And then we go out to the thing. We come across the road here, and we see our arch nemesis. And immediately, our heart just explodes. We just were singing to Jesus. Now we want to curse this guy out. That's the reality check for all of us. Our Christianity never goes farther than that moment. So we understand. The Bible understands. God understands You didn't know what would happen when that person left your your side. But this might have been God's plan all along, Philemon. Here's here's God's plan. Here was an estimate. Here was Philemon's plan. I'm going to treat this man with respect. I'm going to love him. I'm going to raise him up in my home. I'm going to bless him. And when he left, here was God's plan. No, I'm going to take him around the world. I'm going to empty him of all of his wisdom and insight that he thinks he has. I'm going to take away all of his resources and I'm going to leave him out to dry so that he'll finally turn to me. Let him watch his resources dry up. Let him see his schemes come to nothing. And what could the Lord do with such an empty vessel? Well, he will make this scoundrel enslave into a beloved brother. The best way, friends, to love your enemies 
is to see them saved in Jesus. To see them turned to Christ. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do you love your enemies? Whoever that person is now, you can fill in the name. You know who that enemy is. You know the one that's done you wrong. Are you praying for them? Do you love them? Verse 17. If you then count me as a partner, receive him. Are you listening to this? Receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. (laughs) Not to mention, but I will. (laughs) Yes, brother. Let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Philemon obviously looked at Paul as a partner. I, I would suggest to you Philemon would do anything for Paul, right? He's a person who's shared in the things of the Lord. And if that's the truth... If they're equally vested in the gospel, Paul now commands Philemon to consider Onesimus as an extension of himself. Treat Onesimus the way you would treat me. How would he have treated Paul? He would have rolled out the red carpet. He would have looked for new ways to bless Paul as he came to his home. (laughs) But this was Onesimus. He could barely stomach the thought of the man. How could he treat him with such grace? What about the debt that was owed? Huh? What about those wrongs he had done? Look at how far Paul was willing to go. Put it on my account. Anything he owes, I'll pay. That's awesome. (laughs) Can you imagine? You're Philemon... You are thinking about Onesimus. You're thinking about how you're going to make him pay. And your best friend, the the person in your life who is the paradigm of spiritual life, the person who's probably led you and discipled you in the things of Christ, he says, look, I don't have anything to do with it. I'll pay for him. Where do you think Paul got that kind of idea? Paul at one point says, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. I killed people in the church. I killed the saints. I hunted them down from this way and that. Look at what God's done in me. He's forgiven me of all this. And and I'll tell you what, that's what happens when you learn and you're overwhelmed by the grace of God for your own life. You can pay for anyone. It doesn't matter what they've done. You'll stand in their stead and you'll pay for their debt because it's been paid for you. What a phenomenal example and a humbling consideration for Philemon. I can only imagine Philemon's heart being quieted 
as he looked at the letter with an undeniable Pauline signature. This was Paul's way of, of authenticating his intention. This is unimaginable, unimaginable Christian charity. Paul knew that he had been paid for by Christ. Why could he not pay? Of course he would pay. In essence, Paul is willing to trade places with Onesimus. He would give even his own life. Even though for Philemon, Philemon, somewhere down the road, somewhere down the road, Paul saved Philemon's life. Maybe it was the fact that he brought him to Christ. Maybe he literally saved his life sometime, physically. Who knows? And it's interesting. He began this letter as a simple matter of asking, but he had complete confidence from the beginning that he would do well more than he was asked. What an irony. Onesimus had been an unprofitable slave to Philemon. Philemon, as a slave of Jesus Christ, would go well beyond what was asked of him to show Onesimus how it was done. The true slave of Jesus Christ. By the way, do you call yourself, do you believe yourself to be a slave of Jesus? You know, that's the number, that's the only job there is, friends. Do you know that? God doesn't look at you as the pastor or the worship leader or the deacon or whatever. We have all those names for each other. People tell me that all the time. Hey, Pastor Frank, just plain Frank is fine with me. Just plain Frank is good. Because every one of us is only a slave. We're only a slave. That's all that we are. And the real or true slave of Jesus Christ isn't waiting to be asked to do the bare minimum. They're wanting to put their whole heart into God's call. We sang it this morning, didn't we? To love Him with our whole being. Anything less is unworthy of who we are in Him and what He's done for us. So Paul has no problem. He knows, listen, I know... When I started this letter, I knew you would do more than I would ask. I know you're going to struggle with it. I know it's going to be difficult for you to figure out how, but I know that you're going to move well beyond what I'm asking you to do. Verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. We've looked at Philemon's spiritual resume privately, pastor of his home, pastor to his wife and his son, and an elder in their church, publicly an evangelist, somebody who shared the gospel and was a refreshment to the body of Christ. He's a stellar Christian, but we see that he meets, or rather the rubber meets the road in his spiritual reality check. There's somebody in his life who he has to deal with, who's hurt him, who's been a a sore in his saddle. He's being asked to extend grace toward Onesimus, a man that he has a true case against. And how can any of us expect to act in that way? What help is available to us to do that? This brings us to our final point, if you're taking notes, and that is Philemon's spiritual resource. And you know where our resource begins, at least in this letter? It begins with people. Paul wasn't just going to force Onesimus or force uh, Onesimus on Philemon. 
He was going to come himself. Prepare a room for me. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there to, to act as a mediator, as a bridge between you two, so that you will see. If there's any difficulty, I'll be there to help mediate and to help work out all the details. I'm not just telling you to do this and I'll say, hey, good luck to you. I'm telling you what to do and now I'm not going to be there to help. Paul's like, no, I'm going to be right there in the middle of the mess. Prepare a room for me. I'm coming. And he wasn't the only one willing to help. Is there anybody here named Epaphras? These are some great names. I don't know why they don't carry on. I was going to name my child one time Sosthenes. Not that would be a great name. My, my wife totally disagreed. But Epaphras, you may not recognize that name. He was a fellow leader in the Colossian church. And he was also with Paul in prison. Doesn't mean he was a prisoner. He might have been visiting. But he was Paul's connection to what was happening at the church in Colossae, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. So each of these men were standing alongside of Paul and Philemon. There's Mark. You remember Mark, right? The former failure. Aristarchus the brave. You guys remember the big riot in Acts chapter 19, verse 29? You remember that riot? Aristarchus was right in the middle of that whole thing. We have Demas, a man who's already kind of falling off, but he's there. And then, of course, Luke, the beloved doctor. All of these guys are standing alongside of, listening to Paul write this or have this letter written, and they're all standing as witnesses and encouragers. I said to you earlier, you can't claim to love God if you don't love his people, right? Did you hear me say that? Friends, Christianity has never been a solo sport. It has never been meant for you to do it alone. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. There's no such thing as here's me all by myself serving God with nobody else, as if I don't need anybody. Friends, we all need everybody. I need men in my life that have gone through what I am going through. If I don't have that, I'm walking through life blind. You know, there's times when we've had some medical kind of situations. My wife has had some, and, and I've maybe had some, and some other people in our life. And I've always been surprised. We think we're the only one who's ever had that. Then we mention it to somebody, and they're like, oh, man, I remember I had that too. Oh, yeah, and I had this. And then before you know it, by the end of that conversation, we're all talking about the resources that are available, the medicines that are helpful, the, the trajectory of life that it takes, the, the, the recovery time. That same thing happens spiritually. It's not just about coming to church and just being here and being present and barely, barely able to stay awake. It's about being part of the body and hearing what others have gone through, hearing their experiences, listening to the verses that God gave them at the time of their struggle so that we can go look at it ourselves. And then just to hear somebody else say, I went through that. I don't even care how it happened. I don't care what happened at some point with you in that way. 
I'm just glad you're still alive and following Jesus. That gives me hope in my struggles, right? And to hear these guys are all lined up here to support Philemon. Philemon, we get it, but we're here to be ones who encourage you in the ways of the Lord even when you don't feel like doing it. How many of you feel like doing the right spiritual thing all the time? No hands went up. Okay, Raul, do you see that, brother? No hands, not a single hand went up. Every one of us understands that faith isn't about wanting to do things. It's about doing them because we love Jesus. And that's not easy. So we need each other to encourage one another. I need men to stand beside me in times of tremendous pressure to encourage me to do the right thing in spite of how I feel. And then Paul adds one final note. Verse 25. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You and I look at that like, no, it's just a throwaway line. But this is the exact prescription that Philemon needs, that I need. I need the presence of friends. Godly, like-minded, well-trained, biblically literate, faithful, track record proven friends. And I need the power of God. Do you think you can forgive that Onesimus in your life on your own? How about no? You just can't do it. It's not in you. You can't do it. You you won't want to do it. I need the power of God. And God's grace. The word grace, I love this definition back from my Bible college days. Pastor Larry Taylor, who gave this to me years ago, and I've always loved it. God's grace is God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And some of us think that's what grace is. That's all grace is. It's just to save me. It's just to get me through the door. But it's by His grace that you are sustained in faith. That inexhaustible reservoir is available to every believer for every difficult decision to obey. And right now you're being confronted lovingly with some amount of humor. There's somebody in your life, there's an anesthetist that maybe you need to forgive and you don't want it. And we get it. But we're telling you it's the right thing to do as your friends, as your brothers, sisters in Christ. And I'm telling you now that if God wants that to happen in your life, he will also give you the power to do it if you'll just surrender and say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I will do it in faith, trusting that you'll meet my faith with feeling. Now, if you're waiting for your feelings to lead your faith, that's never going to happen. Your faith precedes your feeling. So faith first, feel second.
Remember that your Christian brothers are watching. But Christ's grace is working through you to obey the Father as he obeyed his Father. In closing, consider Philemon. He's an excellent example, but one with a tremendous challenge. He's been burned. And like you, he has a true case. The justice of the gospel is his greatest hope. Those who hurt us will never reform until they're reborn. There are those in your life who've hurt or taken advantage of you. Forgive them and pray not that they run into a wall, but that they run into a Paul. Consider Onesimus. He's come to faith in Christ and is alive toward God now. He believes and is repenting, willing to go back and restore what had been stolen. All who believe in Christ must bear fruits of repentance for their salvation to be considered authentic. There's nothing easy about believing, but it is worth the price it's paid. Maybe today you're like an Onesimus. Maybe you're in here and you're running from something. First step is to go back and make it right. However you can. You may not be able to make it totally right. But if you're an Onesimus, don't keep running forward. Start running back and get it right. Consider Paul, the evangelist, reaching out to the lowest of the low with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something right now. Is there somebody in your life that you look at and you go, those people, and you'll say it like that. By the way, there is no room for that. There's no room for any kind of racial, social, whatever it is you might put there, whoever those people are, you need to repent. That's sin. That's not the Lord. Oh, but you don't know what those people, oh yeah, I do. I've got those people over here too. But those people are those people because they're not his people. And if they're his people, he'll be our people. He didn't care what Onesimus had done. He cared what Jesus had done for him. You need to care about that too. And consider Paul the intercessor. Willing to tell the brother, this is what you need to do. And then willing to be with the brother while he does it. To build the bridge between the two. Being willing to reach the lowest and the least. To be the one that will share the load that another cannot shoulder alone. That's that's what being a Christian is all about. More than all of this, consider us. You and I were worthless slaves of sin destined for justice. We needed somebody to stand for us who had the authority and the means to pay for our sin. Jesus Christ stood before the Father and said, I will pay. And when he stood on the cross, he said, Tetelestai paid in full. And he stands today, our righteous advocate, ever living to intercede for us. Because of his atoning death, 
that has been accepted by God, he has asked God to treat us as if we lived his life. Jesus lived perfectly, died vicariously, rose victoriously, lives eternally, so God can treat you who believe upon him graciously. Five points of Frank right there. And for those who trust in him, there is not simply the remission of our sin, the removal of our guilt, but the imputation of his righteousness. And not just the life on this planet, but eternal life with him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity again to proclaim your gospel, to proclaim your love. And Lord, we would just ask now for your grace and mercy. Lord, there are some in here who are struggling emotionally with the reality of dealing with an Onesimus in their life, with forgiveness, with restoration. Those issues are difficult, Lord, and we would be remiss in not asking you for your grace to touch those lives. If that's you this morning and you're struggling in that area, there's a need for forgiveness. There's a, there's a challenge. There's a reality check to your spiritual life. And right now you want to confess to the Lord, it's hard, it's not what I want to do, but it's what I need to do. There could be years of baggage and struggle. And the only way that is done away with is by God's grace in Christ Jesus for your struggle. So if that's you this morning and you need some prayer for that, I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand where you are right now. And I just want to pray for you. Anybody like that? Dealing with the issue of forgiveness. Got you here. Over here. Just keep your hand up for a second, please. Got you there, there back here. Wonderful. Got you here. Thank you, Lord. Keep your hand up for a moment. I'm just going to pray. Got you back there. Wonderful. Keep your hand up for a minute. I just want to pray for you. Father, I lift up those that are responding to you now. Lord, you know how difficult this is. You know how strong the feelings are and how Lord, how much maybe there is just an unwillingness before this moment to do something about their case. Father, I pray in Jesus' name you would enable them by your Holy Spirit to be bold, to follow their faith, not their feelings, that, Lord, you would empower them to fully forgive as they have been forgiven, and that they would look at those people in their lives not as enemies, but as potential targets for your grace. So Lord, I pray you would fill them with peace now as they confess their unforgiveness, as they give their cases to you, and as they let go of whatever would keep that person from their good grace. We lift these to you. We thank you, Lord, that they are willing to hear and do what you are calling them to do. We love you and we thank you in advance for how you will free these in Jesus' name from the bitterness and the years of hurt that they've accumulated. Bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name.